How you doing? This is Mike for Working Class Thoughts. So today's episode is going to be on Vlad Dracul, better known as Vlad the Appeller. Uh, one, in my opinion, one of the most brutal uh, leaders of any military force throughout history. Um, and I do want to say right off bat, some of the words might be mispronounced. Um, I did my best I could to try to figure out how to say them. If I feel like I'm saying them wrong, I will sell them out as I normally do. Um, and without... We got so much material to get through, so uh, let's just go ahead and straight get into it. Okay, so Vlad was actually the second son of Vlad Dracu II. Now, Vlad's father was an illegitimate son of Mika I of Wallachia, uh, or W A L L A C H I A. So, this, uh, this. This part is actually important to note. This next part is. Vlad's father actually earned the moniker uh, Dracul for his membership in the Order of the Dragon. Now, this order was really a military brotherhood that was founded by the Roman Emperor um, Sig- Sigismund. Damn. Now, the Order of the Dragon was actually dedicated to sleeping, uh, to stopping the Ottoman advancement in Europe. Now, Vlad was old enough to be a candidate for the throne of Wallachia in uh, 1448. Now, his, um, historians actually think that he was actually born between 1428 and 1431. Now, Vlad's father actually settled in Transylvania in 1429. Now, historians think that Vlad's mother was the daughter of a kinswoman of Alexander I of Maladiva. Now, or her uh, his father's first unknown wife. There's a lot of, like, hit and miss information here that I was finding out. So, now, Vlad's father actually sees Wallachia once his half-brother Alexander I of Aladia in 1436. So the next part is actually very crucial to understanding with Vlad, okay? And I can't express that enough. January 20th, 1437 preserved the first reference to Vlad, uh, to Vlad III, or Vlad the Appeller, and his elder brother, Miracra, mentioning them as his father's firstborn sons. Now, if you know royalty, this is very, very important to know. His firstborn sons. Now, the last document of the four charters also included the younger, uh, the younger brother, Radu. So, Vlad's father naturally did not support the Ottoman invasion of Transylvania. In March of 1442. So the Sultan actually, the Sultan Murad II actually ordered him to come to Gallipoli to show his loyalty on the spot. So Vlad and Radu went with their father. Once they arrived, they were immediately arrested. Now Vlad's father was actually released. However, his sons had to remain. Now, as a way to kind of force their father to be loyal, you know, their lives really was in danger, in fact, however, due to the fact that their father started supporting the king of Poland against the Ottoman Empire. Now, um, during the Crusade of Varna in 1444, uh, Vlad's father really thought that his sons had been butchered and killed for the sake of Christian peace. That's literally what he felt like. He had no clue that Vlad and Radu was still alive, like none whatsoever. So, however, neither one of them was actually killed or butchered. Like I was just saying, Vlad's father acknowledged the Sultan's power and promise. So, okay, let me back up real quick. So once Vlad's father actually learned that Vlad and Radu was actually alive, he immediately acknowledged the Sultan's power and promised a yearly tribute 
in the year of 1446 in an effort to get um, his sons released. Now, it is said that Vlad and Radu fled, uh, fled to the Ottoman Empire, with, um, which actually suggests that the sultan allowed them to return to Wallachia after their father paid the first homage to him, proving that he would start to pay. Now, Vlad's father was actually murdered with his eldest son, Miarka, uh, M-I-R-C-E-A. Hyenda, H-U-N-Y-A-D-I, made Vlad II, son son of Vlad's father's cousin, Don II, the ruler of Wallachia, which basically, okay, so... That basically meant that even though Vlad was the rightful heir to the throne of Wallachia, or Wallachia, however they say it, I'm trying to remember. Um, it's been so long. Um, but anyways, however they say it, basically what that meant is he screwed Vlad over. He said, you know what? Screw you. Instead of the firstborn son, I'm going to get um, your father's cousin's firstborn son instead. You know, like, screw you. That's really what that meant. So anyways, we're going to move on. Once Vlad's father actually died and his older older brother, uh, Vlad became a potential claimant to the throne. Now, Vlad's second, or I can't ever say this guy's name, Vladislav, Vladislav, Vladislav. See, it's it's Vlad, I-S-L-A-V, the second of Wallachia, Accompanied, accompanied John Hyenda the first. Now, which actually launched a war, which actually launched the war against the Ottoman Empire in September of fourteen forty eight. Now, Vlad um, took advantage of this situation. Okay, because once they left, Vlad was like, "Hey, they're gone. What am I going to do? How am I going to make this like you know something that um, I could learn from? Something that I could take advantage of?" So he broke into Wallachia at the head of the Ottoman um, army in early of October. <clears throat> so Vlad did have did um, have to accept though the catcher of uh, the catcher of Giurgi, uh, G-I-U-R-G-I, on the Danube and strengthen it. So, like I said, sorry for a lot of the mispronunciation uh, of that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later on in the show. The Ottomans did defeat Hyende and strengthen it. The Ottomans defeated uh, the Hyende army during the Battle of Kosovo between October 17th and 18th. Now, Hyende's deputy actually begged Vlad to come to Transylvania. However, Vlad the Impeller, this is Vlad, the, you know, he refused. He said, nah, I ain't going to do it. And, um... So Vladislav II returned to Wallachia as the head of the army. Now Vlad, after that, he fleed to the Ottoman Empire December 17th, 1448. You know, he's, he was like, you know what? Nah, good. I'm out. Hold on one second. So Vlad, he decided to settle in Edirin, E-D-I-R-N-E, in the Ottoman Empire after his fall. However, he quickly moved to Maldiva, where Bogdan II, his father's brother-in-law, mounted the throne in the autumn of 1449. Now, after... Olgaden was murdered by Peter III, Aaron, October 1451. Now, Bogdan and Vlad fled to Transylvania with Vlad to seek assistance from uh, the Wallachians. It is the boyar's right to elect the successor of Vladislav II if he dies. So Vlad, he actually really wanted to settle in Brazov. Uh, B-R-A-S-O-V, 
which was the center of the Wallachian boyars, expelled by Vladishin II. Now, Hyenda forbid them from actually giving shelter to Vlad on February 6th, 1452. So Vlad returned to Madava, where Alexander managed to dethrone Peter Arun. Vlad left during the following years. Okay, so Vlad's life during the next following years is actually unknown. And I actually found that really interesting because you're about to find out why. So, however, it is believed that he actually returned to Hungary before July 3rd of 1456. It was the day Hyundai informed the townspeople that he tasked Vlad with defending the Transylvania border. Now, Vlad's return to Wallachia, the date, the date however, is unknown. He did invade Wallachia, though. With the Hungarian support, either of April or July, you know, or August of 1456. Nobody could state for sure. Now, Vladislav II actually died during this actual invasion. He promised to protect them from the Ottomans' invasion of Transylvania. Multiple sources recorded that hundreds and even thousands of people were actually executed at Vlad's order. At the beginning of his reign. And he began killing any boyars who actually helped in his father's or in his brother's murder. Or anyone that he actually suspected of plotting against him personally. Now when I state this, what I'm leaving out here is something very crucial. When they're saying that Vlad was killing the local people, aka the boyars. um, He wasn't just killing the army people. He was killing the citizens as well. And um, we're going to touch bases on that at the end of this episode as well about how cruel Vlad the Impeller's techniques were actually, especially in the 1400s, just how crazy they actually were. So Vlad made a great change happen, however. Utterly, he actually revolutionized the affairs of Wallachia through gaining money, property, plus other goods of his victims to his own personal retainers. Now, Vlad did send customary tribute payment to the sultan, however. John Hyenda died August 11th, 1456. Now, his eldest son, Laristas um, Hyenda, became the captain and general of all of Hungary. Now, he immediately accused Vlad of having no true intention of remaining faithful to the king of Hungary. He ordered the Burgers and the Brasas uh, to support Vladislav's brother, Don III, against Vlad. Naturally. Hey, I like this guy. Screw anybody that's going to help Vlad, the rifle there. Screw anybody that's going to help him. You know what I mean? Because I want to get my boy elected. That's how that really happened. But anyways, let's go ahead and look farther into the research until, yeah? So, the Burgers... Uh, Saburu supported another pretender, however, a priest of the uh, Romanians who called himself the prince's son. Now, meanwhile, Vlad's illegitimate brother was known as Vlad the um, Vlad the monk. Now, he took possession of Almas in the area known as Salist. It is now. It had actually been ruled by the rulers of Wallachia in Transylvania. Now, Ladislas V of Hungary had Hyenda executed March 16th, 1457. So, meanwhile, Hyundai's mother... Hold on one second. Okay, and his uncle actually started a rebellion against the hungry king. That's how power-hungry these people were, man. So while the civil war was happening, Vlad helped Stephen, the son of Bogdan II of Maladiva, in his siege of Maladiva in June 1457. Now, meanwhile, Vlad broke into Transylvania, then looted the village all around Brasov and Sabu. 
So the earliest local German stories actually said that Vlad carried men and women as well as children from the Saxon village to the Wallachian uh, castle. Then he had them impaled on stakes. So Vlad's so Vlad's people actually participated in peace talks between Michael Sazia, S Z I L A S Y, and the Saxons. So their agreement, they would actually expel Dan from their town. Vlad agreed to allow the merchants from Sabu or Sabi could sell and buy their goods in Wallachia within the area, like Wallachia, not on the outskirts, in the area. As uh, as long as a Wallachian merchants uh, could sell in Transylvania. So meanwhile, Lotus Hernandez's younger brother Matthias Corvinus. C-O-R-V-I-N-U-S was elected king of Hungary January 24th of 1458. Now, once he was actually king, he ordered the burghers, uh, Sabu, to keep the peace with Vlad. So March 3rd, 1458, Vlad was um, lord and ruler over all of Wallachia. And the Duchess of Amis and Fagueras. So, September 20th, 1459, he had taken control of these uh, traditional Transylvania uh, fleets of the rulers of Wallachia. So, Michael says, uh, says, Giri, I can never say that last name, man. S-Z-I-L-A-G-U-Y. That's why I was trying to look into all that... Um, Punctuation shit, but allowed the Boyer Michael of official. So Vladislav II of Wallachia, the settle in Trans to allow them to settle in Transylvania, March of fourteen eighty eight. Not too long after that, Vlad had the Boyer Michael killed. So. In May, Vlad asked the burghers of Brasov to send craftsmen to Wallachia. However, things, you know, with the Saxons, they kind of went south, man. Before the end of the year, so most historians actually think that a conflict actually started once Vlad forbade the Saxons to enter Wallachia. This forced the Saxons to sell their goods to Wallachian merchants at the border fairs only. So the Saxons stole in, stole the steel that a Wallachian merchant had brought to Brasov, and he did not pay them. So the response was that Vlad looted and tortured some of the Sultan's merchants. He had the, he had the merchants and the children impaled and burnt at stakes alive in the Wallachia uh, kingdom. However, Vlad defeated and killed him. Oh, I skipped over something. So in response to that, Don III actually broke into Wallachia. However, Vlad found out about it. He defeated and killed him April 22nd of 1460. So then Vlad invaded the southern Transylvania and destroyed the suburbs of Brasov. He ordered the implement of all men and women that had been captured. <clears throat> the impellent, the impalement, sorry. Ah. So during negotiations, Vlad demanded the explosion and or punishment of all Wallachian refugees who declared that the burghers of Rossoff as his brothers and sisters. Then Vlad evaded the region around Almas and Kagras. August 24th, to punish them for supporting Don III. And we're actually starting to get into my favorite area of Vlad now. A lot of this stuff has been <clears throat> before, 
like leading up. <clears throat> so this next area, like I was just saying, is crucial in understanding Vlad as most of us in the world know him today. So, Konstantin Mahalvas, <clears throat> M-I-H-A-I-L-O-V-I-S, who was a member of the Sultan's army and part of their elite infantry unit, said one year, Vlad straight out just refused to pay the Sultan's tribute. And historians state is in, that was, in fact, it was actually three straight years that um, it actually happened. In fact, Thurizan Bog, who was a secretary in the Sultan's court, stated that Vlad not only turned against the Ottoman Empire, oh, that Vlad only turned against the Sultan, the Ottoman Empire and the Sultan when the Sultan went away on the long expedition in the Trezeban, uh, T-R-E-B-I-Z-O-N, in 1461, <clears throat> according to the Torzan uh, Bog, Vlad started new negotiations with Matthias uh, Corvinus, but the Sultan was soon notified by his local spies. And Mahim, the Sultan, he sent his envoy, he sent his envoy, the Greek Thomas <coughs> Katabolinus, to Wallachia, ordering Vlad to come to Constantinople. I can never say that word. Uh, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N-O-P-L-E. Um, <clears throat> ordering him to come there. He also sent secret instructions that to Haza to catch her Vlad after he crossed the Danabin, which was a river. Vlad found out about the Sultan's plan, however, and he catch her. Hansa and Catablinus, and he had them killed and impelled. After the killing of the Ottoman officials, Vlad gave orders in fluent Turkish to the commander of the fortress of Georgi, G-I-U-R-G-I-U, to open the gates immediately, doing it, and this allowed the Wallachian shoulders, uh, soldiers to break into the fortress and capture it and massacre everybody. He then invaded the Ottoman Empire, destroying villages along the Damban. He let the he um, let Matthias Corvinus about his military action in a letter in February eleventh, fourteen sixty two. Now we'll try to include that letter in the slideshow. You can under yeah. He stated that he killed more than 23,884 Turks and Bulgarians at his order during his military campaigns. Now, he sought military help, stating that he broke peace with the Sultan and for the King of the Holy Crown of Hungary, as well as for the preservation of the Catholic faith. Now, once the Sultan, Mahim II, learned of Vlad's invasion, he raised an army of 150,000 strong. The size of that army, it really shows just how much the Sultan wanted Wallachia. However, historians also state that the Sultan granted Wallachia to Vlad's brother, Radu, before the invasion of Wallachia started. This really shows that the Sultan's real actual plan was simply to change the ruler of Wallachia from Vlad to his brother, Radu, because Radu stayed loyal to the Sultan and Vlad didn't. So the Ottoman fleet landed in Brailia, which happened to be the only Wallachian port at the time of the Danube. So the the main part of the Ottoman uh, army actually crossed the river under the Sultan's command, direct command, mind you. June 4th, uh, June 4th of 1462, Vlad was outnumbered and he started, this, he started to scorch the earth. So Vlad was outnumbered and basically he needed to retreat. So he ordered his soldiers to scorch and burn all of Wallachia. And then retreated to Targviest. 
uh, T-A-R-G-O-V-I-S-T-E. So June 16th, during the night, Vlad actually broke into the Ottoman camp in an attempt to kill the sultan. The way Vlad saw it was the sultan was killed. This would cause a mass panic of the Ottomans, and this would allow him to defeat the Ottomans' army finally. However, the Wallachians missed the sultan himself and attacked the tents of Mahim, Pasha, and Isaac. Having killed Vlad, or having failed, sorry, Vlad left the Ottoman camp at dawn. When the sultan entered the camp at the end of June, the town was completely deserted. They were horrified by what they saw. They described a whole forest of impelled people, thousands of stakes with carcasses around them, and even infants and mothers held together by stakes with birds nesting in the eyes of their skulls. This is actually stated by the sultan, mind you. So the Ottomans actually uh, suffered from the summer heat and thirst. So the sultan actually decided to retreat from Wallachia and uh, march toward Brailia. Stephen III of Maldia went to Chilea, now Ukraine, to seize the um, important for- uh, fortress where a Hungarian garrison had actually been placed. Vlad actually departed to Chilea to the Ukraine area himself. He did leave behind a troop of 6,000 men strong to try to stop the march of the Sultan's army. The Ottomans defeated the Wallachians with little to no effort. Stephen of Madiev was was wounded and actually returned to the Maldiv border before Vlad came back to the fortress. Now, the main portion of the Ottoman army left Walchia. However, Vlad's brother, Radu, and the Ottoman troops stayed behind in the Bargain Plain. A hung, um, although Vlad defeated Radu and his Ottoman allies in the battles during the next couple of months. More Wallachians left Radu's support. Like they were supporting him and more Wallachians were like, you know what, Radu? We're losing people. Things are looking bad. I think I'm rolling with Vlad. So Vlad left to the Carthian mountains, hoping that Matthias Corvinus would help him get back to his throne. Now, Albert of Isthmus... Um, I-S-E-N-M-I-Z-O recommended that the Saxons recognized Radu. Now, Radu also made an offer to the burghers of Brasov to confirm their elect, to confirm that he would be elected, that they would elect for him. Plus, he would actually pay them 150,000 ducats if they would vote for him. So, Matthias Corvinus, he visited Transylvania November 1462. Now, the negotiations between Vlad and Corvinus lasted for weeks. Corvinus, he did not want a war against the Ottoman Empire. He said, it's bad for business. I don't want a war. You know? So... You know, get this. The king actually ordered the Czechoslovakian military commander, John Jiskra, uh, the Brondis, to capture Vlad near Rakru in Wallachia. Now, the explanation for Vlad's immediate imprisonment to uh, the Pope Pius II, they had to get permission from the Catholic Church. So their justification to the Pope, as well as the Venetians themselves, who sent money to finance a a campaign before against the Ottoman Empire. He stated that Vlad offered to unite his army with the Sultan's army against against the country of Hungary if the Sultan helped him get his throne back in Walchia. So 
Almost all historians, however, state that it is false to, uh, it was a false reason to just justify a reason for Vlad's arrest. Now, the fact is that the evidence of a couple of letters were actually written with clumsy wording, bad Latin, and this is evidence that it could never be Vlad. Vlad's first um, was imprisoned in the city of Belgrade, now Abu Lia in Romania. A-L-B-A-L-U-L-I-A. So, out of Bill Elia. God, I wish I could. Ugh. Now, long after he was taken to Vaishar, he was actually kept there for 14 years. Now, no documents were actually found for Vlad between 1462 and 1475. So, Vlad was actually released only after converting to Catholicism. Now, Due to the fact that the Wallachia actually needed a ruler who had been an enemy of the Ottoman Empire before. So they figured Vlad was the man for the job. So Matthias Corvinus did recognize finally Vlad as the rightful prince of Wallachia. He did not provide military help, however, to help regain his throne. Vlad would end up living in... um, Pest, part of Budapest, Hungary. One time, a group of soldiers actually broke into Vlad's house, um, chasing a thief. And Vlad actually had the commander executed simply because he did not ask Vlad's permission to come into the house to chase the thief. So Vlad moved to Transylvania, June of 1475. He wanted to live in Sabu, however, and he sent his convoy to the town early of June to find a house for him. Corvinus ordered the burghers of Sabu to give 200 golden florins to Vlad for royal revenue. September 21st, however, Vlad left Transylvania for Badu in October. Now, Vlad did buy a house in Pox, and it became known as the Dracul House. January 1476, John Pongre of Dangui urged people in Brasov to send Vlad the supporters who had settled in the town because of a treaty. Now, Corvinus, he actually dispatched uh, Vlad and Siberian uh, Vrk Corvis. Uh, G-R-G-U-R-E-V-I-C to fight against the Ottomans in Banis early of 1476. Now, they captured Sabith and other ones uh, February and March of 1476. Now, Stephen Bathory, yes, you heard that name right, and Vlad entered Maldiva, forcing the Sultan to lift his siege of the fortress uh, Taguf, Naf, uh, T-A-R-G-U-N-E-A-N-T, in the late August. Matthias Corvinus ordered the Transylvania Serens to support Bathory's planned evasion of Wallachia. September 6th of 1476, Vlad stayed in Brasov, and he confirmed the commercial privileges of local burghers in Wallachia October 1st of 1476. So, Bathory's army actually captured Tagus uh, November 8th of 1476. So, Stephen of Maldia and Vlad had a ceremony to confirm their alliance. Now, Vlad told the merchants of Rasov about his victory, and they told him to come back to Wallachia. Also, he was officially crowned November 26, 1476. So, um, Basit Laisha returned to Wallachia with the help of the Ottoman support. Now, Vlad died fighting him December of 1476. According to Stephen III, Madiev, Vlad's body was utterly destroyed. He said that the Ottomans' army cut Vlad's corpse into tiny little pieces. 
They said Vlad's head was actually sent to the Sultan Mahan III, and his place of burial is actually unknown. Popular opinion says that he is buried in a monastery of Sanaf. However, no tomb was actually ever found when they looked. Now, historians Castine that Razif has stated that Vlad most likely um, is buried in a the first church of Koman Monastery, which was built by Vlad near the battlefield. He was killed in battle. Uh, let's see. Oh, where he was killed in battle at. Sorry. So let's look at some of his family real quick. Okay. Vlad actually had two wives, not one, two. His first wife may have been the illegitimate daughter of John Hyenda directly. Now, Vlad's second wife, however, um, Justina Salisti, J-U-S-Z-T-I-N-A, S-Z-I-L-A-Y or A-G-Y-I. She was cousin of Matthias Corvinus, and she was the widow of Vincel uh, Pongrek of Sazmaklos. Um, she survived Vlad Dracul I, um, and she first married Dazaku and later June's Earl, now Vlad's eldest son. Mahinas, M-I-H-N-E-A, was born in 1462. Now, Vlad had an unnamed son, although he was killed before 1486. Vlad's third son, Vlad Dracula, D-R-A-K-W-L-Y-A, he tried to lay claim to the Wachian throne, although he was unsuccessful. Around 1495, he was actually the forefather of the noble of the Dracula family, D-R-A-K-W-L-A. Now, hopefully I don't run out of time here real quick. I want to touch up on some things. One, you got to understand that... You got to understand the time period we're talking about here. One thing you got to understand about Vlad the Impeller or Vlad Dracul is when he was a kid and he was actually captured by the Sultan, there is a lot of evidence that state that he was actually sexually abused by the uh, Sultan's army as well as maybe even the Sultan himself. Um, that's something that um, uh, multiple historians have stated off and on, as crazy as that is. They say that the the depravity and the um, how violent it was during that time period that Vlad was in, um, they state that that's what made him become the way that he was. Now, granted, even before he went with his father to go to the peace talks with the Sultan, however, things weren't all that you know great where he was at anyways, right? I mean, it wasn't. There's a lot of power plays. It seemed to me that it was like a lot of power plays like this, this part of Romania over here says, I want this. And like these four people over here says, no, screw you. But these three people over here is like, I'm going to ride with you. And these people over here is like, no, I'm going to ride with them. And they're all beefing with each other. So his, his the things that he saw even before then was probably all fucked up anyway. So now when I said that he was known for a lot of um, one of the most brutal Uh, people in history that is no lie he was one of the most brutal now one one common story you're often going to hear is how um the the sultan when he said that he was mortified by what he saw a whole forest now you got a picture we're talking over twenty thousand. i want to say maybe i could be wrong on that number but it was way up there just a whole forest of dead bodies of corpses including women and children Um, What they didn't state, however, is a lot of local people said that Vlad actually drank the blood that was being drained from the stakes as well as ate dinner at a table underneath all the bodies. Now, this is a common image that you're going to see. Now, I do want to stress out the fact that nobody knows for certain 
if Vlad actually did that. A lot of people state that it was local people that said that he was the um, that he was the devil and that he had to do the most brutal of things to be able to uh, save the Romania country. He is actually a Romanian hero, believe it or not, but we're going to go a little bit farther into this. So no, I do not believe he actually ate dinner underneath the bodies. Now, I do believe that he put the bodies on the stake for a very, very good reason. Vlad Dracu was very big into mental games, psychological warfare. He knew by putting those bodies on a stake that a, as brutal of an army as what the Sultan had, and if you know history, you know damn well that the Muslims and the Sultan had the most brutal of all armies throughout all of history. One of the most, if not the most. I mean, the things they did was just, we're not going to get into that. Anyways, um, so he had to up the ante. So he said, you know what, I'm going to take all of them and just spike them. But when he spiked them, he actually took them. He would have his army. It was a dull stake, kind of roundish. And he would put it from their rectum and it would come out through the top of their forehead. So it's going in while they're alive, up their ass and up through the top of their head, up their rectum. So while they're alive. Now, the women and children, the women were holding the children like so. And the child was held together to the mother by the stake. Again, going through this, the rectum and up through the Sometimes through the mouth or through the top of the head. Now, not only did you have all this and factor in, you also have the fact that when he captured people, for instance, there's a legendary story of him capturing four monks, and he asked these monks a series of questions to test their loyalty to God, to see if they were going to lie to him. And the question was if he was going to go to heaven or hell. Now, Everybody, with the exception of one monk, was killed. That monk left and told stories about Vlad Dracu, and it became legendary. Nobody knows what he said to allow Vlad to let him live, because that's just not, Vlad would kill everybody. He's just an everybody killer, straight up. Didn't care who you were. Um, so nobody knows what he said, but that's where a lot of the stories that you hear about Vlad Dracu from my research, indicate that it all came back to that monk who went back and told everybody this or that, and it just spread like, you know, wildfire. Although, when it comes down to tactics of warfare, what you heard about Vlad Dracu is true. He was that, and then some. He would take, whenever he had in a prisoner, he would take stakes and actually put it in front of their cells. Just so they can look at the device that's going to kill them. Whenever he walks into that room, he left it there. <laughs> so you, he would leave you in there for so long and the whole time you're just staring at the, what's going to kill you. That would be like being on death row and then putting the electrical chair right in front of your cell for months. And for months, you're just staring at that chair. Every time you wake up, that chair. When you go use the restroom, that chair. When you, when you wake your eyes, chair. Close the eyes, chair. No matter what you do, you turn chair. So it's like seeing your death instrument for months. That really touched your head. Vlad had uh, psychological warfare down to a tactic. He would cut the heads off of people and then he would send it back to their leaders. You know, like, damn. He was very fond of that. And he firmly believed that everything he did was in a name for Christ, for, um, for God. So, there's also the legendary story about um, Vlad Dracu's wife leaping off the building. Um, I did not find any evidence to state if that was fact or fiction. I'm still working on trying to find that out. Um, I don't know if his first wife or second wife actually leaped from the building or not. Um, when, of course, doing this research, I did not. I do want to speculate, though, out there that there is no body of Vlad the Impeller. Uh, when they went to go dig into different locations, they never really had any solid proof that they found his body. Now, I did come across an image of his supposed head that was cut off. You remember in the research material when they said that the Sultan's army minced up his body, basically? But they captured, they cut off the head 
and they sent it to the sultan. Well, they supposedly might have found his mummified head, but nobody knows for sure if it's his. And the church that they said that the body was at, uh, there's actually underneath the um, underneath the where the priest talks is a spot where they said that Vlad's body is. Hold on one second, everybody. Okay. Okay, as I was saying, they never actually found the body of Vlad the um, Dracu or Vlad the Impeller at this church where they said it was. Um, they opened it up and dug, and they never found uh, they never found the body. And the second church that they were talking about uh, near the battlefield where he died at that Vlad actually had built again, they never actually found any body. So although they have enough evidence to support that Vlad was killed during battle, nobody actually has ever had his body. But from what I actually understand, Vlad um, was, uh, you know, very much like that. So it seems like his whole life was nothing but a fight. His whole life he was at war from the time that he was little to the time of his death. I don't think the guy actually had a moment of actual peacetime. He was pretty much at all times at war. And if he was home, he was home. But it was kind of like, it kind of reminded me of when I was doing research material of almost working like in an oil field job, you know, like he would come home for a little bit and then he'd be back on the road again for like a month or two. He'd be off, you know, or even longer than that. He'd be off at some war. He would come defeat, come home for a little bit. Then he'd be off at some battle. It was almost like he was addicted to it, um, to me. Vlad was just always fighting someone. Always. And if he wasn't fighting someone, then he was killing somebody. I'm going to put, I'm going to throw out this other little thing real quick. So I remember years ago, I came across a story about uh, Vlad that when he was actually arrested, they kept him in his own castle um, and the dungeon, in his own dungeon. And they said that he didn't have nothing to appeal. And they said that um, they actually found. Now, again, this, it, no, it wasn't, it wasn't his own dungeon. It couldn't have been. So this is, according to research tale, this would be the, whenever he was captured. Remember that first time he was captured and then he was let go? They said that whenever they went into that dungeon before he was let go, that they found mice and flies on little pieces of wood and pelt all across his jail cell. So that's what I'm getting at is he's been like this his whole life. This wasn't an isolated thing. He, he was at war from, from get go, you know? And I think that's sad. I don't think that he really truly would have been if things would have been different with his father. And I'm not saying that him and his father had beef. I'm saying if the country wasn't as much war, things would have been different. Now I do want to stress that although we all know about Bram Stoker, um, the book Dracula, um, there's a lot of, you got to understand that Brahm actually went to Romania, um, and he wanted to find a scary story and he started asking around questions cause he started hearing about the castle and about Vlad and he asked more questions. He was so impressed that that's what he based. He based his character for his book on Vlad the Impaler. There is no proof that Vlad actually drank the blood of his enemies. There is no solid proof that he did that. There is no solid proof that he cannibalized his uh, victims either. There is no proof of that. There is proof that he impaled them. There is proof that he would mutilate them. There is proof that he would light them on fire. There is proof that he would cut off their heads, um, kill kids, women. Uh, there's a story about Vlad that said that he was asked one time, Vlad, you're killing all these women and children. Why? You can't do that. Why are you killing all these women and children? And Vlad supposedly looked at one of his uh, commanders and said, because if you allow that child to live, that child will grow up and kill one of us. So Vlad was very, 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 that's what I'm getting at. He was very military, that point blank. That's what I meant by he was always at war with somebody. There is cases to this day of people like that who join the armed, armed services and for the rest of their life, they're just at war. That's all they know. Vlad was the same way, only Vlad was royalty. I don't think, you know, so... 
I just want to I do want to stress that. And when you look at documentaries about Romania and you and you and you ask somebody, I actually know um I actually when I was younger, I actually dated a girl from Romania for a little bit. And I've heard her stories about Romania. Um I tried to get a hold of her, but she wasn't available for this episode. I actually know like three or four other people that's involved with um things over there in Romania and try to get them to come on it. But I guess of conflicting schedule changes, they couldn't, uh, they didn't feel like they had the time to be able to appear. So hopefully I pronounced everything right <laughs> or close. If I couldn't, I did try to do the spelling thing. So I just want to stress out that enough. I also want to stress that as far as if you go to Romania and you ask around about Vlad, you're going to hear mixed stories. You're going to hear stories that Vlad was, one of the uh, Christian warrior that was killing for the name of God and for the people of Romania when no one else would do it. You're going to hear he was one of the most brutal people for no reason. You're going to hear he was a vampire and that he's still alive. You're going to hear all kinds of stories. You know what I mean? Uh, Believe half of what you hear. (laughs) Let me put it like that. Believe half of what you hear. (laughs) Don't believe the hype. Believe half of what you hear. So um, it is ironic, though, that one of the most brutal warlords in all of history, this guy would kill women, children, men, elderly by the thousands. It is ironic, though, um, because of a book by Bram Stoker. He, He, you know, I mean, think about it. Let's think about it for a second. How many other people do we do that to? There's a reason for that. Because with Vlad the Impeller, he was also a prince. He was fighting for a cause. He's a historic figure. That's the whole point of why I wanted to do this podcast episode. Normally when you hear Vlad the Impeller, the first image that comes to mind is Count Dracula. The second image that comes to mind is like Dracula from the movies, um, you know, or Blade. You you very seldom picture a long-haired guy in a knight's outfit fighting for a country in the aspect of just a historic war figure. There's always got to be something more to it. Um, I wanted to do an episode to actually highlight his life for his military career, some of the stuff that he went through. Why did he do the stuff he did and what led him to become the person that he is or or was? And um, that was the reason behind me deciding to do this episode. I just felt like there was more to Vlad the Impeller that needed to be told because you always hear that, you know? You always hear vampire, 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 vampire. But he was a brilliant leader. I watched an interview. Um, I I don't have exact... I don't have the exact, um, I might have to try to find it and uh, figure out a way to get that out there. I found a really interesting news article about um, the one of the last, I guess because there's a Romanian royal family. I don't know if there still is or not, but at the time he was talking about Vlad the Impeller and they asked him about why is one of your country's Favorite people, so most celebrated figures in your country, one of the most brutal people of all history. And the the king looked at the, the interviewer and said, because Vlad, we needed the Romania, the Romanian people need the devil to come to Romania to fight something more eviler than the devil. So what he was saying is the Muslims and the Sultan was more evil was so evil that they needed somebody on Vlad's Dracu's level to conquer them. That's why he's a national hero. And that's why I wanted to do this episode to, to show you there's more to Vlad Dracu than just what you think. There's a whole lot more to him. I mean, there is everything that you think, but there's a whole nother level to him than what you don't know. And um, with that said, I am going to keep trying to reach out to these people. Hopefully, they'll be willing to do an episode. I really wish they would have came through for this interview, though, because this is one of those ones to where it's one of my favorite historical people. But because I've only 
like I said, I've only known one girl from Romania, and that was a long time ago. Uh, my language skills, as far as Romanian goes, isn't so good. Um, you know, a lot of people I know from different countries, it's hit and miss with me. Like some words I'll be able to do, some words I won't. Romanian has proved to be like the whole thing proved to be like kind of difficult for me to try to pronounce right. So hopefully I'll get better at that. And hopefully in the future, you know, like that's what I was saying. I was hoping they'd be here to be like, oh, Mike, it's actually this way. <laughs> you say it this way. You know what I mean? But it's all good. It's all good. Uh, we're going to keep moving forward. Uh, you guys can expect more episodes coming your way. I am planning on doing it off the top real quick, but instead of doing that, um, I might as well just do it now. So since I'm still recording for my, um, audio listeners, as well as my YouTube listeners, my audio listeners keep coming to YouTube to check out the videos I'm doing this one in particular, I can't express, I'm going to throw in a lot of extras in there. So here's the deal. If you have any questions about my show, you can contact me as normal. I am willing to take on um, interviews now. Um, if you live in a different country, that's perfectly fine. Um, I am actually figured out a way that where we can actually make this work through a computer. So I could actually do an interview with you now, no matter where in the world you are. Um, if you're interested in that, uh, message me on my Facebook, uh, my Working Class Thoughts Facebook page. Uh, you could actually find me currently. You can find me on my Facebook page, uh, Working Class Thoughts. You can find me here on YouTube. You can also contact me on Instagram. You can also contact me on Twitter. And I have a website that is currently being developed. Um, it's active right now. Um, I just haven't gone around to putting more than what's on there yet. So um, when that's done, you'll be able to find me on there as well. But currently, that's the only way you can get a hold of me is YouTube. Uh, Facebook Messenger uh, for Working Class Thoughts or here. Again, uh, keep sending requests out there to me or keep sending, you know, keep sending your requests to me. Um, and if you're interested in being in a show, let me know and we can actually arrange that. And even if, even if you just want to like, hey, Mike, I felt like, you know, that one episode, you know, da, 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 da. If you want to, let me know and we could actually arrange it to where uh, we could talk, uh, you know, like by camera in a um, in that kind of format. So it'd be like my face and then your face and then whoever else. So we can we could hash it out however which way you want to do it. But if you want to be if you're interested in being on the show, let me know. I'm finally willing to do that. It's a new feature I'm very excited about. Uh, so no matter where you are in the globe, you could actually appear on the show if you want to. And if you want to request an episode on any kind of subject. Just write me and let me know. And with that said, um, there are some more exciting episodes coming your way. I have one that's going to throw everybody for a 360. And then I also have one that's going to be on true crime. And I know for sure I'm doing one on Pol Pot. That's probably going to be down the road, though. Uh, my next my next historic war, um, historic war crime slash, you know, warlord type of thing, that will be on Pol Pot. So... But that won't. There's gonna be two episodes before that one, so I'm gonna be announcing those ones real soon because one of them is gonna be a special episode, and the other one's gonna be a normal episode, and then it's gonna be Pol Pot. So I'm gonna be announcing those here pretty soon. Again, this has been Working Class Thoughts. Um, this has been Mike for Working Class Thoughts. Peace, love, and good vibes, everybody. Oh, stay tuned after the stay tuned after the extra features, which will be. Um, I have my music going with um, extra documentation. You can actually see the actual letter that Vlad Raku actually wrote in his own writing. You can actually see it in his own writing. I actually included that in there as well. Remember earlier when I said that I was going to try to find the letter included in it? Well, I did. So it's in there. Um, and then whenever you're done with that, you actually have like three documentaries and uh, two movies I attached to this. Um while I'm trying to get the show in motion, like I said, I'm trying to get people to appear on the show. I finally have the equipment to do it, so I'm excited about that. If you want to be on it, let me know. Seriously. Like, I'm excited about that feature. Um, you know, it's just – and then I'm trying to get the website going. So this a lot of stuff is going to be happening I'm excited about. I said 2020 was going to be a big year um, as far as working class thoughts the show goes. Um, we're still developing our formula we're still developing different ideas, but we're moving along pretty good. So I got to state that. And with that said, keep sending in the request. 
um, that you want me to do, I'm always going to be willing to do them. If you want to appear on a show, just let me know. You know what I mean? Um, don't expect all these episodes to be this long. This has probably been my longest episode I've done to date. Um, so anyways, again, this has been Mike for Working Class Thoughts. Everybody, peace, love, and good vibes, and have a good night.